Hello and welcome to Keyframes, a podcast about anime. I'm your host, Ben Halliburton, and with me today is Andy. Hey, hey, hey. Duncan. Hey there. And Jeff. Yellow. There was a slight amount of confusion at the end of last episode about what exactly this episode's discussion topic is about. Fortunately, we have Duncan here now to explain it. <laughs> uh, give us a short summary and we'll go into discussion. This whole idea is that I find fan service pretty unsexy 99% of the time. And mm-hmm. since that supposedly is its entire purpose, it's strange <laughs> that something can fail so spectacularly and yet be so prevalent. I think the first thing to say, though, before we go any further, is that as sort of functioning adults, fan service probably isn't aimed at us. It's aimed at a teenage audience with little to no sexual experience who just have no idea how these things even exist. They're like, the gay next bounce? Yeah, that's reality. Like, how can anyone look at Gunbuster or Bust Gunner as it was obviously As I always make the joke, yeah. (laughs) And actually see its its reality-defying breasts and just actually believe that's the way things are. When animation spends 99% of its time trying to convince us that this is real and that the audience shouldn't be aware that this is artificial, like, and fan service is like someone, it's like the director suddenly waving to the camera and going, hi everyone, look at this, look at this. It's always just like a a sharp cut to to some part of normally a lady, sometimes a man. Normally a lady, though. And, like, it's never natural. It's always contrived. And it's, it just staggers me that people who spend their entire, like, working careers trying to develop a craft based around maintaining this sense of flow and of presence and allow themselves to shoehorn in this stuff. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I... Uh, just just to say real quick, I do think it's funny to think about why people like fan service because you're right, Duncan, there is the like like twelve year old kid who in a in a different period in time would be would be jerking off to underwear ads in the Sunday paper. Um, but now they can just turn on <laughs> turn on anime. Um, but I think for a lot of people, it's just about what's expected. If you have an attractive woman on screen, at some point you have to objectify her as part of the contract of having beautiful people on screen. And you're right that it's very a very gendered experience. But like I don't know, I always remember showing people like Keijo, the uh, boobs and butt wrestling anime, and like I find all of that profoundly unsexy, like drill boobs and hypnotic butts and butts that can that can cause people to have concussions if they if they get hit in the face with them and butts that can take infinite damage like at a certain point the like the the instrumentalizing of of human anatomy makes things unsexy and yet they still have like the full pan ups with like peppy music and a nice kira kira sort of thing going on just cuz it has to be there because this is a show about women in in their swimsuits even if like stuff, stuffing them in a sports anime where they're like fighting for their hopes and dreams kind of like takes the shine off of wanting to fuck them if even you feel that at all yeah i would say that i think <laughs> i think the big thing about anime uh, especially when it comes to fan services because they're not real people you can 
you know, do any ridiculous shot you want because you can just draw it. I think that is a lot of the original fan service ideals. But uh, I would say that it's not that the, the camera is making you go, make, is, is being obvious, but it's just you're very aware of yourself because you're like, this is really awkward because I'm now just watching a teenager's panties flash. And, you know, that that is awkward. But I would always say that stuff like prison high school, like that is that is high edgy, <laughs> um, but I, I felt that that was not unsexy. But it was very horny. It was very very horny. Um, even the anime, the manga <laughs> goes places. Yeah, it's an interesting distinction between sexy and horny because like a lot of things are kind of internally horny without being externally sexy. Is the kind <laughs> yeah, of idea? Yeah, I don't know. Like I think of I, I I'm going to bring this up real quick just because I don't want to bring it up when we're talking about anime crushes, but like. The in, the ED of Serial Experiments Lane when she's just like lying naked on a pile of cords and you're like, oh, this is hot. And you're like, no, this girl's 13. Uh, and, I mean, that's, and that's experience of a lot of anime, but. Yeah, I mean, that's like even then, like Hyoka, right, which is by the books, like a pretty mm-hmm. unsexy show. It still has an ending where all the girls are in camisoles and baby dolls and just lying on beds. And then the camera just slowly pervily just centers around them and it's like it doesn't have any relation to the show and it you know it's just weird but that to me is when fan service is weird right when it doesn't quite fit the bill but if it right like i mean what we're watching right now my dress up darling like <laughs> i the etchy is is strong in that but i don't feel it's misplaced yeah she is strong with this one <laughs> yeah <laughs> how much do you think of it is as like almost product placement because as we all know anime is not a uh it is a multimedia uh enterprise and a lot of the extra stuff that you can buy are like figures and key art and things like that and you know you just look at uh you know the two girls in evangelion you know every possible costume special interest you can think of you can find a version of them and wanting that piece of plastic i think comes from a different impulse from wanting an actual relationship with a human being and i think you know unfortunately a lot of these shows suffer from an expectation that there is going to be that aspect of it and i know i'm always the boring one who says like but what about the capitalism that's why this is bad but <laughs> like i think it's like like Duncan was saying like when like it, it you know it is as weird as when you're watching uh you know a, a spider-man movie and everybody has a sony phone and like or like every tie-in song is a Sony song and you're just like, okay, like I can see exactly who made this regardless of how well it's integrated into the story or the shot. You just instantaneously know where the impulse to put that on the screen came from. And it wasn't storytelling. Yeah. I mean, I think certainly at the beginning of sort of anime fan service stuff, that was definitely the case, but not because of blue, because of uh, figurines. It was more because of Blu-rays. Like, mm. you look at your ad- yeah. original, like, Gainax, uh, sort of, uh, what was the other really etchy one with, like, Rail Hunter, whatever it's called. Oh, it doesn't matter. But, you know, like, <laughs> whenever there's a censored version, people always buy the Blu-rays to, you know, watch the uncensored version or pay for the premium streaming, or the premium channels that would then show 
the uncensored anime as well. So I think you are right to a degree that capitalism definitely does help, but it doesn't change the fact that the manga is very much etchy. Um, actually, no, because the tank taco bonds can also the tanko bonds can also have more uncensored content as well. So yeah, I think that's why. I think you got a fair point there, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, and I think that was like my other like hobby horse that adaptation changes the nature of a full page like pinup th- uh, shot. You know, be something that you glance at as you're going through it versus a long, you know, drawn out like Ben was saying, like the pan up or you know the the weird, awkward, you know, staring directly down Akebi's shirt to look at her armpit, like. It you know it, it it just hits different when it's in motion, and mm-hmm. sometimes shows will lean into that. But every now and then, like it just it, it feels like somebody you know they understood that you know this is a key part. You know anybody who's reading watching this after reading the show is going to recognize this shot. It's cheap heat that we can get, but it often just plays awkwardly just by nature of making it you know a scene in a show rather than just a, a panel in a manga. Mm. It's interesting you mention Akabi because I've watched a couple of the episodes now catching up with you guys. It has these shots where it just sort of it, it's obviously a cover or something they're recreating. Yeah. And like in in the the manga I imagine that's a color page uh amongst black and white printing whereas in the anime it's a frozen image mm-hmm. amongst moving images and it's kind of like this weird reverse of getting less rather than getting more out of something like you're getting a, a f- frozen moment rather than an animated character whereas in the, the the books they're they're giving you color to an otherwise black and white world and so it's it's kind of like it's 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 fan service which kind of once again feels like it's it's like a knowing wink it's to the audience rather than <laughs> actually doing anything to enhance the characters because I, I th- maybe I'll come on to this in, in more fully, but I, I really feel like a lot of the times I've thought a, a character actually is sexy. It, it comes from that ha- character having some sort of agency and being animated well, rather than just a particular angle of them being sweet. Yeah, I mean, going back to Akebi real quick... Um... You are right. That is that is exactly it. They are indeed single shots that I don't think were always in color, but it was definitely like the way the manga ended. It was first shot will be a, a nicely drawn sort of picture of yeah. Akabe or someone, and then it would flip through. Uh, the other thing I just really wanted to mention was like Akabe is a kind of a different type of fan service because it's not yeah. overtly sexual, but the Yui content is high and sort of mm. um, it. It I think Jeff was saying even when he was watching, it's like it makes you feel him feel dirtier than watching such overt sexual <laughs> sexualization that's in dress up darling mm-hmm. um 100% i feel way grimier <laughs> anytime i watch that show i i mean i it doesn't bother me i guess i guess i'm more indoctrinated to this bullshit um but yeah like i i still think akebi's my favorite thing this season so <laughs> i'm a sucker I mean, <laughs> we'll, we'll... Talking about suckers and things this season, and some things we'll talk about more later, um, Vanitas uh, this season is full of stupid, sexy vampires, and mm-hmm. it manages to be probably the, the hottest show this season without actually having 
any fan service really like i there's very few bust or leg shots any fan Inst- service really that doesn't sound like that's true <laughs> but here's here's the thing i was gonna say like i i shouldn't be surprised by this considering it's ex shaft people but it's it's eroticism is definitely based on shots of necks and shots of teeth um <laughs> and that's something shaft definitely have a history with and i think like the fact that it's people doing things to other people um that's a different kind of eroticism to what most fan service typically is i mean once upon a time, fan service, and we've had this conversation before, fan service didn't just mean titillating yeah. or nudie shots, yeah. like a really good, like overly detailed missile sequence mm-hmm. or the way that the like the like explosive bolts like connect and fire and like Evangelion when they have to like drop mm-hmm. down like really highly detailed sequences was fan service and it and the the detailed sequence being centered around a the female body it was just a subtype um but like in the in the jungle of linguistics the like nudie shots like outcompeted the mechanics and the explosions so there is like you do sometimes see like vestigial elements where someone's like oh yeah this is this is such great fan service and i'm like what are you talking about there's not even a girl in it and that just is me having having lost the battle <laughs> for meaning uh but it, it is it is something yeah. that's kind of been over competed and to say like there's no fan service in vanitas i do not believe that i'm sure there is there is plenty of bl fan service mm. plenty of just like horny handsome men van service in vanitas that just doesn't count as fan service because we've reconfigured everything around the male gaze because that's yeah. the audience that it's sometimes it feels like yeah. 90% of anime is being sold to I mean, is like a 14 year old boy who wants to watch some porn, but can't. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm watching hypnosis, Mike, and that's very much a female centered <laughs> fan service show. It feels like what is considered fan service for the female gaze is, is very different from the more overtly physical and visual uh, male gaze. Yeah, that's yeah. That's- probably yeah. quite true and of course you have to have have just to go back to what ben's saying like i think if we look back yeah before the the term just came synonymous with just sexual stuff um you could easily apply fan service to something like every single girls and panzer movie every time they trot, <laughs> trot out the extremely oh, large you're tank telling me. Um, you're telling me and then in the music plays and they like drive down the countryside yeah that's fan service yeah yeah. So <laughs> how much of a difference do you think there is when a gun otaku is impressed by a cool reload sequence in, say, Black Lagoon or something versus when a character drops into a classic like fan service pose in any other random show? Like how much of it is just I am familiar with this. I enjoy this. I I know the secret language of this and I appreciate it versus core. Look at that. I think they kind of go, why not both with Remy sometimes? Um, (laughs) But I do think like, yeah, you you are right that that they are definitely going, okay, here's the thing you know about, the thing which you're a discerning gentleman. Uh, You you know... A man of culture, if you will. (laughs) Yeah. You know know what this this is. Uh, Not like those plebs. And... (laughs) I don't know. I th- I feel. I think the thing is, fan service has become so. It's become 
really i think it's become more a blunt weapon these days like it's that with something like the the gun attacker i think you're sort of it's it's very very rarely presented out of context like can you the the example you just gave me jeff can you give me like an example of in some high school drama where someone suddenly has a gun and they're they're loading it and you see the bullets clicking in perfectly uh, I, I, I don't think <laughs> i mean that's quite possible but <laughs> i i mean talking about ultimate fan service uh, high school of the dead has yeah. that famous sniper shot where it is exactly Ugh. that before it then like the bullet manages to go yeah. between two pairs of breasts like individually and everyone that, like I, the I, I, I would, should, like tear both uh, their tits off to, for that to yeah. work but i mean I, I i would argue that that's yeah. that's a failure fan service because what you want what you want to see is an impressive thing depicted like very detailedly and like with the with the speed and extent to which her tits are flapping around like there's no way he could have known that he was going to fire between them <laughs> he made a call that he was going to shoot this girl's boobs off and then he got lucky is what it really feels like uh, <laughs> to be fair they they anyway <laughs> oh dear yeah i mean that's also the problem with fan service discussions is i think we we and most people run out of gas so quick because like it's so easy to resort to the most the most humiliating ones, the ones that make you make you think to yourself quietly. And we've talked about this with Dress Up Darling and Mona Guitari of just like, shit, I can't talk about this anime with anyone, can I? Uh, <laughs> and like and when we're trying to do it deliberately, trying to talk about like the stuff that Mona Guitari or Dress Up Darling or Akebi or High School of the Dead does, <laughs> like it makes you not want to talk. It makes you want to just kind of retreat within yourself and then just like quietly finish watching Dress Up Darling um <laughs> but it also it, it, it's a it's a kind of within within anime fans it's kind of just like an yeah. accepted level of of skeeviness like you will always somehow get a odd panty shot you will always somehow get some like lucky arrow situation where they walk into someone changing like even months even my hero academia is not it is not innocent, isn't like, you know, still as guilty of doing those sort of things. It has one character who gets naked to be awesome. her superpower. Good. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but they then make it to be, look like a weird skin suit in the anime. It's very weird, but. So it's, so it's the exact uh, yeah, softening it, of oh, Ghost in the Shell's invisibility, like thermal optic <laughs> camouflage, isn't it? She has, to, she has to get naked in the movie and then yeah, in the TV show. Yeah, exactly. No, she, that. Can, she can wear a bodysuit. Because. Because she's got like a color, she's got like a color ah, difference between her body and like her hands, and then she's like, "It's a bodysuit." And then in the manga, it's like, <laughs> "I'm just naked, but I can do it in the." <laughs> what um, Ben mentions there, the major in Ghost in the Shell, I don't think she's ever sexy. Now, I don't. Uh, is that a? I don't, that's maybe a outlier. I don't know or not, but I I feel like the way she's. The the yeah, way she's like, depicted doesn't feel that way. Other than those like three notorious pages in the original manga, like the major is almost entirely just this superhuman. Very rarely, you know, other than like you know being close with her buddies, and every now and then, like a like standalone <laughs> complex, they sort of nod towards her sort of like open lesbian relationship with the other two random cyborg ladies. 
but it's never explicit. It's never like the front of focus. Yeah, they do complain all the like. I'm I'm currently rewatching it with my girlfriend, as I said, and they complain all the time. Like every time they meet her, they're like, "You never come out anymore." And I'm like, "God, this is getting too real in my 30s." <laughs> <laughs> like we never see you. You never hang out anymore. We never go out. And Major's like, "I've got a job." Yeah. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. I'm secretly ke- keeping together the entire Japanese government. <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's a stochastic terrorism uh-huh. campaign being conducted by thousands of people against the government. Sorry, <laughs> gotta go. We'll hang out soon, my my sweet chickadee. Makes I sense. promise. <laughs> uh, but I do think I do think that like, unfortunately, Ghost and Chill is one of the weirdest instances where like the fan service is in the DNA, and successive adaptations take it further and further away until. Mm-hmm. We finally have the Arise reboot slash prequel where they just de-age the major into like a teen girl. And so you don't want to see the fan service anymore. <laughs> but yeah, like Ghost in the Shell is just very weird. The standalone complex is very weird because uh, I made a promise not to say weird so much because last episode I said it like 2000 times. Standalone complex uh, is interesting because <laughs> because. Uh, like it still has the fan service of like she gets in the Tachi coma and we are the camera's like a foot off the ground looking up at her butt. Yeah. And you can't that's some of the most wildly unsexy fan service and not just because it's over the top, just because it's not necessary. And I'm like, she's it's the same thing. I'm like, she's trying to do her job. Stop <laughs> male gaze, stop it. She's trying to she's gotta stop this tank before it blows up this this old couple's house. Uh but but uh <laughs> But yeah, it's still in there and like it, Ghost in the Shell never gets away from it. It never gets away from how just because of uh, Masamune Shiro's uh, proclivities, it's just built into the DNA. And there's always the awareness that like the major could be sexy. She's often depicted as as somewhat like masculine and like almost asexual at times, uh, completely indifferent to like the shape of her body. And when Bato's like, well, you got such a sexy body. She's like, I like, I like these bodies. I, I don't need to explain it to you. Uh, so it's very, we- so it's very strange to see ghost in the shell as an article of, of fan service. But the first movie, like she gets her tits out constantly. It's, it's absurd. It looks, it looks, it looks like a sure thing. <laughs> that, that was like a weird sort of artifact of the 90s i think and especially of the the anime that made it over here is that they mm-hmm. definitely went around and picked and choose shows that had that kind of casual nudity like that sort of skinamax mentality of we are going to have these like horny shots in it to draw in the punters more than anything else yeah and it's that was one of the things that was more disconcerting i'm actually i feel like i'm being more articulate because i can't say weird i've made a rule in my head it's gonna work out that's one of the things that was actually very disconcerting about watching marduk scramble is i think it still had some of that like late 90s from when the the concept was developed it had this like late 90s idea that like if it's possible that a girl's not wearing a top in a scene yeah she's she's she got out of the shower and she has yet to put on a shirt and someone comes in and talks to her and she's just so so cool and in control or so like alienated from her body that she just has the towel around her, around her neck and it mostly covers her nipples, but sometimes it doesn't. And that's fine because that's what the audience is here for to a certain extent. And I wasn't, I felt like I was, I'd been tricked into watching ghost in the shell again. So, (laughs) (laughs) or like in Gunbuster when main girl is waking up and her, she's wearing a, a tank top and it's just, 
strategically twisted so that her boobs are falling out. And that's the thing that happens if you're wearing a tank top in bed. But at the same time, like, but. <laughs> why is that there? It's not there because for the realism. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, men men never men never have themselves falling out of clothes in anime, or very rarely do, unless yeah. it's BL. I know. Unless it's super lovers too. I, I really enjoyed um Shogeki no Soma for doing that. There's one really great bit where <laughs> uh the a guy's loincloth falls off and then he just is like, Oh my god, I didn't even know the loincloth had fallen off. She is a really good cook after all. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think Shigeki no Kusoma is one of the rare examples where it goes both ways. Like, the guys get just as naked as the women, but it doesn't quite work because the women get a lot more sexier scenes than the guys do. I mean, it, it like, I was thinking back to, like, early stuff because when we talk about crushes, which we should probably move on to in in a little bit, like, most of my anime crushes come when I'm early when I was early in, in this hobby. Mm. Now I'm just jaded and I don't really... <laughs> I'm like I don't really process the two. I don't really process the two D girls in my anime as yeah. as women. Yeah. Um, I see them as performances, and I see them as character designs, and I see them as animation. <laughs> yeah, I don't even um, see the blonde brunette and redhead. All I see now is code. Right. <laughs> precisely. <laughs> precisely. But like looking back at the older stuff, looking back at like Naruto, like there's there's plenty of Sasuke cheesecake there for the ladies if they accidentally ended up watching a watching a shonen anime like they, they got you covered don't worry there are several like dark handsome like young men for you to for you to look at but that was that was very much at the time when Shonen Jump were trying to say hey we're not just for guys even though we've got Shonen in the name um, it's also worth mentioning uh, Fujiko Mine is probably the first notable example of like a femme fatale type sexy character who I think for the large Japanese audience especially, really hit home. People really uh, dote on Fujiko Mine as a character of, like, a sex symbol character. Mm. I've been watching the uh, Lupin uh, movies recently. Mm. Um, the uh, ones uh, which... They're, do they're doing a, basically a, a sort of... I think it was the... A 50th anniversary set of of movies for each of the main four characters. There was oh, something which jumped out. It's obviously these um, have an entirely different rating to the TV show, and so uh, Fujiko's got her tits out all the time. It's 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 <laughs> like it was actually kind of like I'm I'm used to um, Lupin being kind of like harmless and 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 sort of PG. Uh, sort of like Naughty Tintin almost, um, mm. Lupin's uh, <laughs> TV series is. Whereas uh, his, th these are kind of more um, Casino Royale, all, all, the first, first Casino Royale style Bond. Like it's it's kind of uh, very sexualized, um, very um, not quite B movie, but has kind of a. I feel from like uh, the, it's like the equivalent of a like Burt Reynolds or a short Sean Connery film in like the seventies the where there's the the women are all oh the 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 accidentally topless what a what a yeah. what a shame I think I think you hit the nail on the head with Bond like that's definitely what Lupin was aiming to be like it feels like. The original description, like the original crib notes um, and style sheet for uh, the first season, especially, was just like, just be Bond, but anime. 
Uh, and um, I mean, you should watch the disappearance of Fujiko Mine. Is that yeah, one it's, it's brilliant. Yeah, I yeah. Love it. But the sexualization of Fujiko Mine and the way that she uses sex as a weapon is is both like over. I think at the time I thought it was overbearingly horny. Um, but I might have a different opinion of it. I might go back and and rewatch it and see if I I still feel the same way. Um, <laughs> Well, the, the recent movies are by the same uh, directorial pairing as Redline. Um, and mm. so, like, Redline's quite sexualized in parts as well. And it, it is a very hyper-stylized uh, visual style they employ anyway. And so I think there's a certain subsection of anime where the TNA is part of the visual language they use, for better or for worse. Like the the soft end of that would be something like Space Dandy, whereas Space Dandy's really horny. But like, if you look at it, it, to me, it's what you were saying earlier about the camera angles, right? Like, you look at Redline. There's a shot where she's I can't remember who the main character, the female protagonist is in Redline, but she has Cherry a, Boy Hunter. Cherry Boy Hunter, <laughs> thank you, great name. Uh, she there's there's a shot where she's there's they're watching there's a cinema like clearly like a TV thing that they're watching, and then it cuts to her. She's in her room and she's just got her tits out. But the way that it was shot is it's shot with her not sort of bending over and showing her cleavage. She's just sort of like lying back, relaxing on a couch. She happened to be topless, which, I mean, sure, I guess people can have the rights to be naked in their own home. Whether it's yeah. particularly realistic, I couldn't quite say. But... It's, it, it reminds me a lot of, of the way Ben was describing his, his discomfort. Mm. And I wonder if there's a conscious aping of that particular era of anime in um, Redline. Redline definitely has a, a retro feel to some of its stylings, especially uh, the vehicles. So I'm, I wouldn't be surprised at all if it was consciously aping the um, fan service I'd... and the the other mores of, of that time is it too. Not, it's not Redline based in a continuous universe, but I don't know what it is. Isn't it Trava Fist Planet or something? Yeah, this is kind of like yeah. the, the mind palace of the the director who made a couple of things in the same one. There's right. like shared characters, but yeah. Anyway, let's move on to best girl. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think no, Duncan, Duncan will, Duncan will yeah. angrily insist. This is not best girl. We already okay, have best girl. Fine. This I is think, anime crushes. I think this is, I think we've got to, you can be unreasoning in this one. I think is the idea. Yeah. I think my problem, my problem with this is, is it's just, and, and this is kind of the problem with anime in general. Like it, it's so, <laughs> it's so vacuous. Like, <laughs> anime crushes because they just come and go for season like right now everyone's simping over fucking uh my dress up darling but two seasons ago people were simping over fucking demon slayer and but who will you always simp andy that's the question i don't know they're like ben was (laughs) saying they can they're completely interchangeable right like it doesn't really matter who they are people will still simp over <laughs> well, well here since since we had a, since we had a whole sequence last episode where i was made fun of for for my tastes in in anime girls like <laughs> that was a good scene. do you want to i, I was do you want to go through like the list the, of the ones i wrote down the the, <laughs> do the 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 first one for me when i started getting back into anime is uh obviously Hinata from Naruto although it's worth mentioning a, a good round of applause for Misty in Pokemon there you go. I was also I was also Hinata in in Naruto guy, and yeah. I was also a Rukia and Bleach. Like if they just 
introduced the girl with dark hair, I was like, sure, okay. Also, Ruki is like funnier. Hinata does not have a personality, no. despite this, except for except for liking Naruto, which was all you need when you're like <laughs> eighteen. I don't know. It felt, and what was more upsetting with Hinata is it felt that she got one moment in the manga to actually be someone interesting and then she just ate shit and nearly died and then i mean to be fair that's that's all female characters in naruto yeah. like do you remember the time that 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 uh that a... that kabuto got oh. knocked out in a battle and knock and his unconscious body is knocks out sakura she does not even get to fight a real person she's knocked out by the by the unconscious body of the henchman of the main bad guy i was for it's, yeah there's I... there's something weird going no, on because like there's also Mar- that bit where Sakura Sakura's like, Naruto, I love you. Go out with me. And she's, he's like, no, you don't really have feelings for me. And it's like, the fuck, man? <laughs> it's because it's he's saving himself for Sasuke, honestly. Yeah, yeah that, that was honestly what I thought it would be. I was hoping. Yeah. Fingers. I see. I mentioned Lane. Um, um, I also like Rosario to Vampire. I remember quite heavily sipping um, over. Um, I can't remember her name. I'm going to hear simp so much in this episode. <laughs> That's going to be your weird, Andy. Yeah. Weird simping. <laughs> I mean, on, the, on that topic, I think my, my first <laughs> choice was um, from Spice and Wolf, Hollow. Like, mm. that's, a, that's, a, that's a, a sexy goddess there. Like, I, I think fundamentally I have a type and it's um, women who are fundamentally competent, but also have have deep lying insecurities and uh, are cold and so it's it's, it's basically yeah. an absolutely terrible life choice but nevertheless hot yeah no i mean i'm the same way ice queens with hime cuts is is the easiest way to like <laughs> like that's why that's how i was a cold academy maya from a cold academy yeah. um genuinely so like a lot of these are just like i try to make a distinction in my list between like I am attracted to this character's design and just curious to see how they look in the show. And then I watch the show and they're not like the show's not good or they're not good. And like characters, I feel like I have a a strong, maybe extrinsic to my enjoyment of the show appreciation. Like I will, I have a genuine crush on Yukino from Karikano. She seems like a very real person. She has flaws that are like embraceable and the flaw isn't like, Oh no, my boobs too big. Uh, which is often a flaw in anime or too small. Um, yeah. Lafiel from Crest and Baron of the Stars, sort of same sort of thing. Competent, chilly ice queen who is a real person with hopes and fears. Um, <laughs> those are my two most mature answers. Yeah. The rest is going to be down I, from here. I, I mean, my example for that, Ben, it's like Yoko was the character that I was like, oh, she's, I like her design. And then I started watching Gurren Lagan and I was like, I'm not so into this, like whatever. <laughs> so I never finished that, but uh, like a character. You never finished who... Gurren Lagann? Nah, I've tried it like Andy. two. Or th- I've tried it, like two or three times as well. We always get to like third or fourth episode, and I'm like, oh, she so haven't gotten to the big twist. No, I know the twist. <laughs> oh I know God. the twist. There's, and there's no oh, point. Well. I know the twist. Someone uh, told it to me, but like, I uh, yeah, I didn't bother. Um, and then uh, the other like the character. Andy, do you watch it? What do you do when you don't you don't watch anything? <laughs> You don't watch movies. You don't finish anime. <laughs> the other... just, just just pounding down America's top model, I guess. Uh, RuPaul's Drag Race. Thank you very much. No, um, I don't care. 
<laughs> and love is blind. Um, <laughs> the uh, the other one that the character that really speaks to me as a character is always uh, Futaba Anzu from uh, Cinderella Girls, Imas, uh, and she she's just a lazy girl who doesn't want to do anything, but everyone sort of loves her because she's actually secretly very competent, and she, everyone sort of and she always has the best, most sanest ideas. And I'm like, yes, I like you. She, she- she looks like a literal toddler. Yeah, and that's the problem yeah. again. She does look like a little toddler, but I think she's about 18, uh, which is another Oh no, joke. it's a it's a honey and clover situation. Yeah, it's another like <laughs> Oh shit, I need to I need to put Yamada on. So I need to put both Yamadas on. Mm. There's But I don't no, never mind. I don't want to put Yamada from working on. <laughs> it's, uh, it's the same problem as Lane. There's there's um, a there's a good there's a good so she also uh, is regularly paired up with Kirarin, who is the very tall Genki girl who is like the exact opposite of her, and uh, they're called Decoboco Collection or something like that, which means like just the complete opposites, but they're very good friends. Uh, so yeah, I I like that pairing. That's quite mm. fun. Um, she's very yeah a list. That, she's that, that, described as the listless seventeen-year-old neat, and I'm like, yep, who doesn't <laughs> who doesn't believe in work? Um, <laughs> and I'm like, yep, this this is my character. She just well, Jeff's interested now. <laughs> that reminds me of the the, the, the and cap idol, the the Barahara <laughs> combi from uh, Monogatari. Um, I I think Sint uh, Kahara is is probably the lady from there who I I find most attractive because she's just. I mean, Sindrikahara is Ben's type. So, <laughs> although I'm also a Hanukawa guy, that's the thing. It's like I like. I thought this for Haruhi Suzumiya and for Monogatari series that like all of those are really like well, well figured characters that you can easily fall for. I think that's part mm. of the charm of both series is like, is like Haruhi and Yuki and, uh, and I forget what y- Yuko Goto's character is. Uh, um, I can't remember. Mikuru. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Yeah. Magical Mikuru. Uh, I should know from the 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 theme song to her magical girl movie, uh, but yeah, like for me at this point in my in my advanced years, it's just like realistic characters. And but there was a period where like I would pick up a show because I liked a single design. I haven't done this with like Chiaki Coffin Princess, which is which is a, a bullet aimed right at my heart. But like I watched Tari Tari because of a character design. I can't remember which one. I don't find any of them really a, that interesting now. I watched Coco Connect because of a character design. I think it was the main girl, the one who ends up being kind of a shit. Um, but I don't, not sure. That was a great show, though. I'm glad I watched that because of a gif of her grabbing her boobs and being like, boobs, because <laughs> of a body switch anime. I think, uh, like, <laughs> it, it, it occurs to me that, that um, like, technically I did, um, Monogatari is one of the few occasions where I've 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 gone I've switched from one one to another within a, a series. Like I, I I did start off with, um, uh, Sendra Kahara being like, oh yeah, she's obviously obviously e the the sexy one, and then going, mm, I kind of like Canvaru, like because <laughs> I I think perhaps because because she's like the most overtly flirting with Araragi and and flirted back like whereas um Sendra, we don't really get that as much with Sendra Kahara. go on uh no no it's fine if jeff wants to talk about the mechanics of monogatari attraction that's fine but for me i do like so Sendra Kahara is is dami kudere obviously or dami sundere 
um, which is a, a fairly normal type. But what what's fun about Kanbaru is that she is an extremely aggressive submissive, which is really <laughs> which is a really unique experience. Is that she like wants other people to like make the decisions for her and make her do embarrassing stuff. But Araragi is not interested in this for a variety of reasons. And so she just like bullies him by flirting with him, which is a really nice like power dynamic. But then I'm getting into what I like about the character as opposed to what's like attractive on a basal level. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I don't know how far I should go, but all the characters are great like that. Um, like, uh, Hanakawa's whole personality of just being like secretly rotten uh, is is like a really charming, great great part of Monogatari. They're great characters, the women mm-hmm. at least. And of course, there is Yatsuki, who just <sighs> I just realized when I was watching the latest Akebi Chan that like, oh, Heavy Mori just looks like Yatsuki. That's why she's the <laughs> <laughs> sleepy eyes, big forehead, thick eyebrows. Just another bullet in my heart, <laughs> dying dying forever. <sighs> Thinking yeah. of what else? Oh, um, real from uh, Ergo Proxy. But that's just because I like goth girls. Uh, yeah, that, that, like if you had, if you were of a certain um, subculture in, at the time you saw that, then I think she very much was like the um, the prototypical version of, of of a certain kind of of uh, what's the what's the right term for it? like just a, a look? Like she was just like a certain look personified archetype. Yeah, like archetypes are far better. Yeah, she was just this look and this archetype just personified and and a backstory thrown onto her. Like that was what that was a one design which felt seriously um, unmoored from its its setting. Um, I'm not sure exactly how you you got um, lead singer of Evanescence in a, a sort of post apocalypse. I'm sure someone saw a picture and was like, that's a great design. <laughs> I wonder how... If, I, I just don't know how they got didn't get sued. Like, it was so, yeah. so, so similar. Like, that yeah, still astounds yeah. me. I, I mean, probably because they, they didn't know about it. But obviously, the people making Ergo Proxy knew about Western music since uh, both the OP and ED are native English language tracks, including yeah. the, the, the ED's Paranoid Android, which is... One of the funnier facts I always like to throw in people's faces when they yeah. talk about the the closed offness, the uh, the isolatedness of anime. Jeff's been very quiet. So yeah, far. he's not satisfied. Uh, <laughs> well, I haven't even been able to get a word in. You guys have been <laughs> taking this ball we're, and running with it. Too, we're, all, we're all fired up. Sorry. <laughs> I I am a simple guy. You give me a scary anime girlfriend, and I'll be happy. Um, like. So. Who's yeah. the scariest then? Uh, that's, that's a great question. I mean, Sandra Gahara will staple your cheek like uh, before she knows your name. So that's that's pretty high up on the list. I went. I feel yeah, like I was kind of sold, sold uh, a, bell, a, a bill of goods with Vanitas because I was like in on that show when they introduced Dominique, uh, the like noise like like childhood friend who is introduced by she like bursts in the room in a like uh Harazuka review sort of style costume with a little robot shooting flower petals into the air and then she immediately puts a dog collar around his <laughs> neck and like drags him into the other world and I was like okay have you, <laughs> we've arrived have you, we, we mentioned <laughs> and, her, and her last name's Desaad too yeah. so. <laughs> so I was like uh-huh but then she's just kind of like a like a, a comedy character after that point, but the rest, luckily, the rest of the show is pretty good. But we we mentioned this briefly last episode. But have you watched Future Diary? 
Future Diary, I have not. I have. You mean Nikkei? Yeah, Yuno Gasai is like the ultimate I Yandere. <laughs> I don't know if Jeff's a Yandere. I think he's. I think he's a, a high Sundere sort of character. Mm. This is going into like the deep yeah. anime weeds. But then I, I, think, I will also be very think... happy with the Yandere. Like I watched all of Kakeguri not just for the the high standards of production value. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I think. Watch watch Future Diary and get and and come back and have your opinion on Yuno Kasai. Oh man, you're she... you're gonna poison this podcast for several weeks, Andy. Because she she I mean she's the ultimate I think ultimate our most conspiracy theory prone <laughs> prone host. But watching she... fucking Future Diary after having watched Steins Gate. <laughs> Future Diary like it's pretty good. Like it's it's quite a good series. It ends and it ends in a way that is wild but somehow works it's one of the wilder endings that i i will accept if that makes sense (laughs) i don't know i think i think (laughs) jeff if you promise to watch it i'll shut my mouth but if you're not going to watch it i won't say anything i will i will spoil it well you had my curiosity but now you've got my interest i will definitely (laughs) watch the show I'm, I, I like Google image searched it and it's like oh here's a nice girl hugging and then there's another picture of her like blushing while Killing somebody with an axe, maybe. So it's like, yeah, okay. Yeah, the, 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 <laughs> I mean, one of the one of the best AMV hells ever is is someone like dubbing "Call Me Maybe" over over the scene where she like breaks into the elevator with them as he's trying to get away. <laughs> shit. Yeah, like, and the story's like interesting. It's basically uh, the god, the Deus Ex Machina is going to die, so she he gives the ability for ten people to see the future, and it's a battle royale to see the last one standing becomes the next god. It's a good premise, and it actually lands pretty well at the end too um yeah 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 mirai nikki definitely yeah Yeah. check it out yeah uh anyway i think uh the one thing i was gonna say is like the fact that we've got all sundares yandares every other dare like i think the fact that a medium can have such like stratified classification of women's types speaks to something where its audience is objectifying on a level which kind of puts many other mediums to shame. And I think it knows everyone has a type and it's it's classified those and it's labeled those. I mean, that's what makes uh, a Kebby a Kebby sailor uniform so interesting is that like it does seem like there's a very deliberate deliberate effort to like every like Meganico like Dojiko, like every everyone has at least two girls that they can that they can draw onto. Do you like haughty, um, haughty uh, glasses girl or like kind of like kind gentle glasses girl? You get both if you want. But I do think also the reason that we all have so many dares in this in this <laughs> list is also because anime is a very safe space to experience difficult attraction mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in a way that no one would actually want in real life. Like <laughs> Jeff doesn't actually want his, his cheek stapled. No, <laughs> that would be awful. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> be a really weird, really weird reason to fall in love with an actual like flesh and blood girl. But as a 2d girl happening to someone with magical healing powers, it's, it's fun and thrilling and different. It's a different spin on maybe smaller, like actual emotional dyna- emotional dynamics that you've that you've yeah. experienced. I also think just the mere existence of your like different dere types and and all of this classification just comes from the nerd impulse to always put things in boxes and to specify things, um, which then later on is more helpful when trying to explain people are trying to explain characters in shorthand and they can just go like oh they're the 
Yandere, the the Sundere, the the Dere Dere, the the you know. Yeah, short hands are good term. And the, yeah. yeah, something um, which which communicates it's 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 communicate something to the reader who knows it quickly and to, is completely impenetrable to everyone else. Like it's, I, it, it's a problem, though, because it just means then as soon as you have that shorthand, it means that that character can't evolve or change outside of what she's, her trope is. And I think that that is a detriment. There's a notable like downgrading female characters evolving or being interesting ever since the internet sort of really kicked off in the late 2010s. Yeah, a, a character but breaking from type is often a highlight and an unexpected highlight. Like, it's, oh, they've got dimension. Wow, and that's the whole point of of, of Sundere is that they're just they seem like really huge bitches, and then they're you you catch them being nice, and it's a it's but a, that's almost a charm for, point. Yeah, but that's formalized yeah. now. Like, like yeah, yeah. So, that's the Moe Gap people fooling literally. <laughs> 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 I, I thought it was interesting like how, how Ben said like we, no one wants a yandere because no one wants most people don't want to get murdered and yet <laughs> like one of my, my favourite um, female characters is uh, Benton from Eccentric Family and she literally boils the main character's father in a pot and eats him him being a tanuki it's perhaps slight mitigation it's complicated but, <laughs> but nevertheless uh, that that's 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 not the fact that he he's that he is in love with her is for like the majority of two seasons is a very strange thing when you try and spell it out and yet it can be made this sort of tragic relationship which is doomed to fail can be allowed to ha- unroll on screen because of that license whereas well, it it can't in reality <laughs> yeah i i do think that there is like this what I like in a centric family is the idea that that really loving someone is a is a a vulnerability that can feel like an ego death, and I do like how that's the very literary way that his like attraction to someone who who will consume him is almost like Freudian in what it in what it's playing with in a centric family um but that makes it more effective like. Uh, I know that the that the author of the Karma Burn blog always talks about Ben Ten as as one of as one of his favorite characters because she is just just this this terrifyingly excessive woman in every respect and the idea of it being kind of Venus flytrap situation or a pitcher plant situation where you can't get away from her because you want what she has but her her nature is death I don't know I should rewatch a centric family I do like that <laughs> I was also gonna say like I think. The idea between the idea, I mean, I, I guess we're going to specifics now, and I think this is probably where we should probably end it. But like, yeah. the idea of a yandere, it's not the fact that you're going to die, but the fact that someone loves you to a level where they will kill and murder for your love, uh, is I think something that people like the idea of, like. That's how much people... Especially if they're not in danger of actually getting killed exactly. by this person. Uh, and that's why, you know, you have so many potato cans because they can just be XP's for yeah. you. Uh, and which we've also talked about, see episode, insert episode type number here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's... There's someone out there for everyone that that, that <laughs> has made sure of that. Um, it has been commodified and uh, 
brought down to a fine art and uh, just, what a fine art just like life there's always there's someone out there for everyone depending okay, if that's what well, you believe that... <laughs> <laughs> well on that like weirdly optimistic note let's go ahead and take a break mm-hmm. we'll come back and be talking about Kageki Shoujo and about Case Study of Vanitas second season is it the second season? yep yeah. Second core of Case Study of Vanitas. See you then. Bye. we're back let's go ahead and start with the case study of vanitas which i am not watching <laughs> <laughs> so someone else talk uh the year is sometime in the 1800s and in steampunk paris uh vanitas a human with the a book of secret vampire lore decides to, to save all the vampires from themselves who live in sort of a weird parallel world because of lore gobbledygook and are suffering from curses and also it's pretty horny the uh the 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 main two boys are will forever be teased because they both have like like heterosexual pairings that are just kind of there to throw smoke in front of your eyes and the first season is mostly about uh, these two good boys, Vanitas and Noe, going on vampire adventures. And then the second season, uh, the second core, I should say, uh, is largely one big fight in the painted world from Dark Souls um, that goes on for entirely too long and ends with the uh, the hetero pairings becoming more firm. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's not entirely weird. Like, the second season has suffered a lot from flashback syndrome. Like, we've they've decided to expand the cast, and therefore we get everyone's backstory for at least half an episode, if not two. And it's kind of diluted what was good about it, which is that uh, Noe and Vanitas are a very good um, uh, couple. Very good roommates. That they, they, <laughs> yeah. They they just work really well off each other in that one's a, a complete cynic and the other's a complete innocent. I haven't really enjoyed the the fighting uh, that much because it's been so been so interrupted by uh, these flashbacks. There's been no rhythm to the the combat arc of this season. However, mm-hmm. there has been a romance arc between uh, Vanitas and Jean, uh, who. I enjoyed her her appearances in the first season as just like this constantly flustered um, idiot who who was very 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 enjoyable in that mm. uh, doing the the typical I'm I'm not interested in you uh, at all oh but maybe I am now oh yeah uh, yeah and and you also then, get the super that... like the fun moe gap of her being the like ultra murderer whose job is to like kill cursed vampires. So, you know, you get the, you know, she's introduced as this, like, force of nature blowing up half of Paris trying to kill the two good boys. And then is finally introduced as the sort of underling of this maybe eternal child? Maybe not? I'm not sure how vampires, they they don't really seem to really care how vampires work. 
in Vanitas <laughs> beyond their sexy people who are immortal and have superpowers. But it seems to be one of those things where it's based on generation, like early people who are born in like the first generation seem to get stuck at whatever age they are, whereas multiple generations further on, like people seem to grow up in age. Like it's it's definitely one of those things where the first vampires are the most powerful vampires and their children are subsequently less powerful and so on and so forth, uh, which is one of the things we get to this season in terms of lore, like... You meet the first first vampire who is um inc- who every other vampire must obey and so it's, it's this kind of like a, a matri- matriarchy going on there in the background mm-hmm. and so the appeal of the show like you know i said somewhat jokingly in the first uh half year that like Obviously, the like a big part of the, the appeal of the show is just every character is hot in a way that does not usually carry over in anime. Like the like there is like a sort of there's a chemistry created between all of the characters like, you know, and the, the vampire aspect, I think, is a way to sort of sidestep, you know, normal, you know, human pair bonding dynamics because you know somebody bites you and it's pleasurable and there is like you know the exchange of fluids and sustenance and everything else and they you know they're they introduce like emotional bonds there that then flourish into actual romantic love later and you know having like monsters as sex is like you know an easy way to sort of get around how people actually act especially in a more sort of button down era either you know be it victorian Paris or uh, you know modern times, mm-hmm. and and that that like that aspect of the show is a lot of fun. Um, and the more it leans into the sort of like the mystery of the of the cursed vampires, and like the weird like mid season instrumentality breakdown that they decided to do in the the combat arc, like that stuff, I think is not as effective and kind mm-hmm. of boring. And like anytime they take away the, the, the focus from just like, you know, these two idiots kind of bumbling around having vampire adventures is a detriment to the show. Yeah. I really enjoyed uh, Van Tassen and John's little romance arc though. Like it, it's, it's like the only time in anime I can think where two people essentially hook up and then fall in love, which is a far more authentic way of, relationships forming than uh anime typically goes for and it's kind of strange that the the license that the sort of biting in gives them to have these um physical acts of um lust between two people without having to do anything "Quote unquote sexual." Oh, he's just mm-hmm. she's biting his neck. It's obviously he, everything's okay here. Sensible. You don't need a mosaic, um, but secretly he's he's rather enjoying that, um, and she seems to be rather enjoying that too. And, I mean, that's uh, the origin of vampires, isn't it? Just a yeah, sex analogy. Yeah, more or less. It's scary foreigners who are biting our women. I wouldn't say the origins, but an early stage of vampire mania was definitely the the sexualization of what is previously the idea of a predatory nobility. Yeah. Uh. Well, I mean, like, a a lot of modern vampire lore comes from the Bram Stoker, like, 
yeah. like create you know sort of lens of that long history of i know like you know i'm i don't need to tell been the like long history of anything but <laughs> like on the like I'm flattered but, <laughs> go ahead. but like yeah like this is absolutely sort of playing on the you know, bram stoker slash Anne rice slash twilight sort of lineage of popular fiction vampires as opposed to any yeah. kind of like low-key uh political commentary i've been kind of surprised that it ended up going in the direction it did with Vanitas because I thought he was just going to stay just this typical haughty um, slightly slightly edge over slightly tuny I think would, would that be accurate Jeff? Yeah that is definitely the the vibe that they give him in the beginning like he's sort of like embarrassingly self-confident in his like sort of secret mystical powers but of course this is a world where those things are literally true rather than it being played <laughs> as a joke but because he is a, a human playing in a vampire's world for a lot of those characters their first instinct is who is this jumped up human acting like a, a fool in front of me. And then of course his amazing powers and personality wins them over or kills them. <laughs> actually, I guess check that. I don't think any, I don't think any character actually literally dies. It's always the, you know, he's, he's, <laughs> he's going to save everybody. Like that's his, that's his whole arc. Like he's taking revenge. Like he is, he's got the secret book of vampire lore from the like, the evil blue moon vampire who of the same name and he is using it to save the vampires as an act of revenge against this sort of like shadowy malefactor that he is fighting against that is very slowly being revealed to maybe one character or another but like they they sort of like dip things and you know dip into getting things to be more serious like is i think common as in a lot of shonen shows where that you you know you start off as you know somewhat lighthearted get the characters together and then you sort of start digging into like the like the dark secret origins of everything as it gets more mm. serious and established but yeah and i mean as a as a show it's it's gorgeous it's a lot of fun the 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 setting is fantastic like it's you know they set it in paris and, and like steampunk paris and they go hog wild with it because you know they get to have their weird sort of like parallel universe version of it and everything is very arch and everything is very indulgent and it's a lot of fun i do hope that they the next arc seems to be around uh dominique and noe um and i do hope it's kind of concentrates on the relationship and keeps the law light because mm -hmm. my, my worry is that it's gonna after a the arc between vanitas and jean which actually a bit hand wavy with this law but in a good way that I, I think the sheer amount of law it wanted to get out about it, like this is one one of the strange things this almost felt like a first arc like in some ways like the first season nothing was really that explain that much and it feels like they had everything stored up till this this second core and then suddenly oh shit we haven't really laid out how this world works we'd better do it mm -hmm. and so we we get half half a season of flashbacks laying out the different structures and, and things and i think i've i've previously he's, he praised it comparative to index in that 
it was more concerned with the characters than with laying out the strict um, churches and all these different things which are interacting. And I hope it, it stays that way. But I, I'm a little worried, but hopefully I'll be proved wrong. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And sh- should we go from uh, one uh, lady dressed <laughs> in a... Uh, a rather fetching uh, suits to uh, a group of them. <laughs> sure, absolutely. Let's go ahead and talk about Kageki Shoujo. Uh, this is an anime that aired uh, in, I think it was the, the summer anime season of last year, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Um, Duncan was really into it. Uh, I kept mixing it up with Review Starlight because they both have <laughs> Kageki Shoujo or in the case of Review Starlight, Shoujo Kageki in their title, their full title. Um, <laughs> and I decided to pick, I'd been meaning to watch this, but hearing that Jeff was watching it made me plow through it too. And at least on my part, I adore this anime. It's mm-hmm. about a, uh, a number of girls, but particularly like a tall, uh, loud, ganky girl and a short, quiet, lots of baggage, uh, ex-idol, uh, joining this kind of serial numbers filed off Takarazuka Review school with the intent of becoming uh, Takarazuka Review players. Uh, and it's just about their trials. It's about their friends and how they how they try. I really think it's a show in general about... Well, it's a very Japanese show in some ways uh, about expectations, but it's told with a real intimacy uh, and an interest in the characters in their lives that makes it feel universal. It's about how those expectations of success can destroy you as much as expectations of failure. And it's about how inescapable the expectations are, which is how they kind of set you up even early in the show by having all these very like clearly archetypal character designs. Uh, and they even have two teachers like pointing out like, oh, she's the pure blood. Uh, she's the wild card. And then watching people either succeed or fail and grow past these expectations I really, I, I adored this. I'm sad that we will never, ever, ever get a second season. Uh, well, but I will probably read the manga, so good on them. I, I didn't ever believe I'd get more review Starlight, and yet I, I am getting, a, I'm getting a, a, a right. full, full film. So yeah, we should do it. We should think about a tween on that. Maybe the, the recap movie in the film. Yeah, and it's, it's like <laughs> this, this. I've. I was very, very fond of um, Kageki Shoujo. I watched it because I, I loved Review Starlight, and that, that show left me curious about a more grounded, um, less talking giraffes take on the uh, <laughs> its subject. And I wasn't disappointed because it has a real re- reverence for the structures and the tropes of... I don't know, would you class a Tarazuka review as, as a, a form or... Yeah, I guess it's a form. It's a form of a medium, isn't it, really? Yes, it's a it's a, it's a, ty- a subtype of, of musical theatre, yeah. basically. It's the anime of um, musical theatre. Yes, exists at a very high, very high level. And I liked at the end um, when, like, one important decision uh, is literally explained as being like, oh, uh, the other person had more moe, yeah. uh, which was nice. Made me... Made me feel so young. Be like, oh, hey, Moe. But it's, of course, an old teacher saying that, so I'm, I'm called out nonetheless. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's really about, about these actors 
uh, cultivating the, the fact that they will eventually uh, have their fandoms, and they even have a scene where uh, the the class rep for the second years, um, who are largely just menacing antagonists, <laughs> waiting off screen uh, in in the course of the anime, but she's got a purse full of uh, of uh, fan letters already. She's not even graduated from the program yet, which is really funny. Um, but yeah, it's about these personalities and how how they evolve. I, they have a, a very beautiful love story for one of them. They have uh, two twins struggling against each other. That feels like an echo of Run With The Wind's twin story and uh, Orin High School Host Club's twin story. Um, it's really it's really good, and there's a lot of characters to like. I like the class rep character, unsurprisingly, because she does have <laughs> a Hime cut and mean-looking eyes. Uh, but even at the end of that, when... Speaking of like expectations, she has a whole conversation with that class rep. I think actually the exact scene where she's got the fan letters where the uh, the class rep for the second years is just like, yeah, class reps, people expect a lot out of them. And if they fail, um, you just you feel like you have to explain yourself. But you're a person, too. And I was like, oh, so even though that even though Sawa Sugimoto didn't get her own episode like a lot of the characters did, um, at least they acknowledge that she also has pressures on her the the Salieri versus Mozart comparison is very familiar to me especially as I I was trying to move up in grad school just worrying that you just don't have the spark and therefore you will never succeed on the level of people who who do um and and that's a common concern in anime especially anime about like people competing for a position but I think it was very compassionately realized here the twin arc when the twin, like one of the twins who has been sabotaging the other, like shows up and apologizes. And the, the woman's like, no, this is like jealousy's natural. You just need to like take that and turn into growth. And anime is kind of scared often of its characters growing. And yeah. this is a show where every character grows enormously represented by Ai Narata, the ex-idol with a history of familial sexual abuse. Oof. Mm, yeah. Warning, I guess. Um uh, just her growing out her hair because when she when she first appears and you find out that she wants to play feminine roles she's so she's so stony and so unemotive and has this extremely severe short haircut um and so just watching her as she like works out her issues and accepts friendship mm-hmm. like her hair growing out to a much more maidenly sort of look oh i love it sorry i let someone else talk about this because i can talk forever <laughs> um i adore it i i have already bought the the manga so <laughs> John Jeff. Oh, for myself, like I, I started watching it because I, I knew Duncan loved it. It had been sitting in my Funimation queue for a while. I gave it a try, and I was just taken by its just extremely effective storytelling. It's very well rendered characters. I enjoy the, uh, and and I was also kind of taken aback by the dark turn, like what. Ben was talking about the Naruto's like history. That's like the third episode, and yeah. it's sort of like I know, like trauma dumping is like a, a sort of buzzword on the internet these days. But that sort of came out of nowhere, and then largely backed off of those kinds of darker, serious issues. Like every, almost every, all like more or less, like a lot of. There's a bulimia episode. Okay. Next ep- okay. Okay. Next yeah. Episode after. Okay. Yeah. Those two. <laughs> Sorry. But and and yeah, and the fact that the you know like you're like yeah like the, the bulimia episode, the character is like bullied into bulimia by one of her teachers, who you know and and you get a shot of them 
later on, so, you know, she's like, oh, I, you know, this girl is binging and purging. And everybody's like, yeah, because you called her a fat asshole and that she would never succeed. And she's like, yeah, but she's just got to get through that. And it's like, whew, like, there's no like comeuppance for that. That's just kind of like dropped on there largely like the like, like there's no great moment of retribution for uh, for I either who, you know, experienced that. Uh, abuse growing up who was driven out of being a model by rejecting uh, one of her fans too harshly who then like begins stalking her like those are just kind of like treated as like uh, what's the word I'm looking for like just sort of like occupational hazards of this world like uh, and like there is a sort of like a casual business like nature of a lot of the girls problems getting over it. And like, you know, this is the world. This is the way it is. This is how you adapt to it. This is how you get through it. And it doesn't like forgive any of those things. It just kind of treats them as, you know, this is, you know, this is not just a, like a wonderland. This is like a serious, a serious battleground for these girls and for as many friendships as they're making, they're also in direct competition with one another. And there is going to be winners and losers in the end, which is largely treated very nicely in the last arc as the first years are given an opportunity to do a scene for one of the second years, like big shows during the cultural festival. And, you know, there are four roles to be played by 40 girls and, a lot of it just comes down to how do they find within themselves the thing that will make them stand out and accepting that, you know, the thing that makes them stand out is not, is not necessarily going to carry them to the finish line. Yeah. The idea of who, uh, of who is going to get the role in the end, they really let you play into the idea that there's a, there's this foregone conclusion that like, the named characters are going to get it. Like I was surprised spoilers. If you care about the resolution that like <laughs> two of the people who got roles are not named characters until those roles are announced. Mm-hmm. They, they really let expectation and failure play out. Um, and that's what makes these characters feel so much more than one note is that like the purebred girl who's worked so hard and is, and it's like, I'm going to, I'm going to be one of the great, like, like, male cross-dressing actors of of the coca review um and she doesn't get it and the girl who's constantly been questioning herself does get it and there's immediately a whisper circle that started and and Kaoru really shows shows her growth from her episode her amazing episode in the eighth mm-hmm. eighth episode of the show where where she's where she's just like if if pedigree could, if pedigree or outside influence could get me a role, then I would have this role. Um, and if her, if if she got it because of outside influence, then her parents are bakers, and so you got beaten by bread. So get get better, yeah. uh, do better, and it's oh, it's so good. It's there's not a lot of watching characters build friendships beyond the core friendship between Sasara, the uh, the tall, uh, loud, ganky girl, and uh, I, uh, the ex idol. Um, but you do see that the, there there is like professional respect, and that's almost a rarer thing to see in anime. I think anime understands friendship a lot easier than it understands. If it has to understand professional respect, it understands it as rivals. And granted, there is like a lot of like rival language in those last few episodes. But I do think it's people who understand like 
what the acting teacher says of like you can't all be uh, be Mozart actually most talented people are Salieri um, like you need teamwork so you can't have eccentric geniuses who don't give a shit about other people oh it's so good mm-hmm. just the, the the realness I guess that's what I was talking about with the uh, anime crushes too it's very easy to become fond of any of these characters just because of how three-dimensional they feel and how their episode about their problems doesn't end with someone saying, don't be so sad. Yanbate. And she's like, Oh, that's right. Okay. Good. Like the, the, the non-confident girl, like even when she gets the part, she's like, Oh no. Oh no. People are going to think I didn't deserve it. And it's just like, Oh, Ayako, you need a, a backbone really fast now. <laughs> yeah. Some of the individual episodes were just incredibly strong arcs on their own. Like I'm, you mentioned episode eight, and I do think it is a standout, but I think it's almost a standout of like anime episodes of the the last <laughs> ten years or so. Like it's just an astonishingly well rendered bittersweet love story in like twenty minutes, and like that's an incredible yeah. achievement. And the fact that the others often come close to that same standard, it speaks to the writer's quality. Uh, very highly yeah and this is not a experienced a particularly experienced studio or or high level staff like uh uh yoneda kazuhiro who is the director like he did a anime on kabuki called kabuki boo which is horribly rated he did uh hozuki's cool headedness did glepnir and then he did kageki shoujo like not not an experienced person at all only been uh directing since since 2014 and the writer no background and it's just yeah just the level of emotional vulnerability for something that's not like and it feels like steered by such a sure hand it really feels like they're confident that like our story about two twins being jealous of each other's achievements is is going to bring something new and i think it does because i do think it actually bothers to differentiate the twins in a way that even run with the wind doesn't really differentiate them until until like you're inside their heads at the end of the show. And one of them's like, I don't want to be like my brother. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that revelation comes and then it plays out. Uh, it comes in the middle of the show of Kikiki Shoujo and then plays out. So, um, so measuredly while other stories are going on and the twins never get the spotlight again. And they both, they both don't get the audition. So yeah, it's just, uh, I want to see where they're going. I want to see where the bullying arc with, with Hijiri, the awful upperclassman who is just, just a snake, just an absolute snake of a human oh, yeah. being. Like, um, <laughs> villain, a, like a proper villainess, like, uh, like not, not, not a Oho Sama, like uh-huh. nice, unthreatening uh, comedy, just a absolute stone cold, cold killer who just happily inflicts misery on others. And mm-hmm. does not um, actually kill anybody though. No, important, admittedly. important note. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, yeah. I, I, it's just yeah very very mean very yeah. mean a character that no, feels nice. drawn from experience <laughs> yes yes that sort of subtle bullying of like of like oh you don't want to be too flashy you're you're with you if you upstage the upperclassmen you're going to embarrass them Ugh. and like literally like getting into uh uh Sasara's head where she's just like she's like you can't be you because you're so loud and so like it literally caused her to have a breakdown of like who can i be if i'm not myself and like she she has to be like coached by one of the one of the actual actors who don't have this like 
incredibly rotten personality that Hijiri does, where she's just like, well, if you can't, if you don't know who you are, then play who you want to be, mm-hmm. um, which leads to an extremely odd joke where she imagines herself with an E cup bust and uh, somehow gets a pretty good performance out of that extremely weird decision. I don't know. It's a fun show. It's got good humor, even though it's largely, I think, about like these big emotions. And I think it is for me the 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 work on expectations, just how like is it worse that everyone's expecting for you to fail or that everyone's expecting for you to succeed is something Mm -hmm. that I think they ask in every single episode and every character has a different take that makes you have a different relationship with that question. And I think that's a a marvelous execution of theme Mm -hmm. and one that I am going to seek out in written form, I guess now (laughs) we'll see. But you know, you seeking that out in written form means that there's a chance there's a second season. Because the more manga sales, yeah, that's true. If I see a boost in manga sales, broken out in America, (laughs) yeah, one podcast, one podcast just would not stop. I don't know. Anime News Network loved this. They they gave five stars to almost every single episode. Uh, So, like, I think it was critically acclaimed. Uh, I think it was one of the darling, the underdog darlings of the season. Um, But this sort of niche stuff, like most people, you'd have to explain to them what Takarazuka Review is first, and they're like, oh, and this is a show about a make-believe one of those and you're like yeah it's good it's pretty good yeah but you know people didn't think there'd be a second season of that hanafuda anime and there's like what three four of them now three of them now yeah Yeah. chihayafu that's that's got a good love triangle this is remarkably chaste in fact the major the major romance is like two childhood friends who've just kind of like decided to date as a matter of course um and in fact uh the the dad, uh, the illegitimate dad of one of the of one of the characters is like pulling the strings behind that relationship. It's a I can tell that there's a lot being set up for later, which is what makes it so frustrating to be only one season, I guess, with mm-hmm. the upshot there. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> all right. OK, let's call it there. Uh, next episode, two weeks from now, we will be covering the Violet Evergarden movie and the Violet Evergarden franchise experience i guess i don't know what word to use i won't be there but these other three gentlemen will and they will have a great conversation about whether it's a boring show or not uh (laughs) and in the meantime rate review and subscribe to us on the podcast platform of your choice find us on facebook search for keyframes podcast find us on twitter at keyframes pod email us questions about violet evergarden or about kageki shoujo let me bring it back next episode after this one It'll be great. Uh, Keyframespodcast at gmail.com. And most of all, tell a friend. Yeah. I'll just. Yeah. Yeah. But not just any friend. Uh, I'll I'll tell that friend who's who's just really into simping. Just way too much. Just just every every season. She's like, oh, that that new one. Oh, yes. Uh, tell your friend fucking images of that one cat (laughs) (laughs) tell your friend uh who got really into kabuki before being told that as a woman she could never be a kabuki star so she became a uh musical review star instead uh she'll really really have a lot to get out of this anime (laughs) (laughs) say goodbye everybody goodbye Goodbye. Bye. bye